I'm going to be in uh, Jonah. Chad asked me what I was going to do. Jonah's right behind Obadiah, in case you were wondering. Does that help any? Um, the Old Testament book of Jonah, I said, uh, well, I'm going to do the whole book of Jonah uh, today. He said, okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm titling the message this morning from uh, actually uh, a couple of verses from each chapter of Jonah. Uh, meet Jonah and see yourself. I think you'll see what I'm talking about as we go, but uh, perhaps you're familiar with the story of Jonah. What's the first thing you think about when you think about Jonah? That's right. That, that uh, great fish. Uh, but think about the title uh, because it does have something to do with what I'm going to uh, share with you this morning. Meet Jonah, who has been referred to as the reluctant prophet, right? And see yourself. And, you know, I think when we come to a time of worship, uh, we're here with God's people. God's Holy Spirit's here because he lives in our hearts as believers. Uh, we come together to worship God, and I think part of that, just like in our prayer time, is that we acknowledge God for who he is. We, we give him praise for who he is. We give him praise for his uh, presence, uh, power. Uh, and, and just to stop this morning and think about that we ought to examine ourselves when we come before the throne of God in prayer, uh, certainly in a time of worship, that our hearts would be prepared to commune, as it were, with God, right? And so that's the purpose today of uh, this message uh, from Jonah. And, uh, you know, when we uh, look at the book of the, of the prophets, uh, we usually think of looking at a people, uh, in the prophets. Uh, but here today we come to look primarily at a person, Jonah. Uh, and again, God speaks through his prophet, uh, that is through his prophet in other areas, whereas in Jonah, it seems like he's just speaking right to his prophet. So are you ready today to meet Jonah and see yourself? Because I believe he's speaking to us today. Unlike other books of prophecy, Jonah is a, a narrative of sorts, uh, mostly about a single event. We've already said that uh, idea of the great fish. And, and not just that, because it was a big deal. Uh, when he preached uh, at Nineveh, a very wicked place, we're going to talk more about that. I mean, there was real revival in that situation. His name, by the way, means dove, and his theme in the book of Jonah, is God's mercy. Now, who doesn't want peace and mercy today in the midst of all that's going on? Our daughter, when I was talking about some of those guys, getting, a couple of those guys getting back from Guatemala, uh, our granddaughter, rather, was scheduled to go on her spring break from North Georgia College to Haiti. And you know your association there and over the years and, and, and the unrest there. Who today in America, though, in LJ? At East L.J. Baptist Church does not want peace and mercy today. And so uh, as we think about that and, and think about uh, 
old Jonah. Second uh, Kings fourteen twenty five. Uh, there is found uh, Jonah's prophecy to Jeroboam the second, who would expand his kingdom. Uh, that prophecy that the, the kingdom would be expanded, and and Jonah was a working prophet. Uh, no doubt that prophecy was was well received, but we we see in the book of Jonah, of course, that he rebelled when given a message for Nineveh. And here we find ourselves today. Let's just be folks today. We're just folks, right? Let's just be folks today. Let's just be real today. Here we find ourselves, we find our own stubbornness and even our impatience with holy God. And God's mercy and long-suffering is there too. Aren't you glad of that? God's mercy towards us and, and His long-suffering uh, long, uh, towards us in the midst of our stubbornness and, and disobedience. But before we judge Jonah too harshly, let's remember ourselves, but let's remember too, we must know that Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a notoriously uh, cruel uh, Assyrian people, is who his uh, audience was. In fact, the Jews and the Assyrians were, were natural enemies. Their, their treatment of their uh, enemies, uh, that is the Assyrians' treatment of their enemies, was inhumane. And it was said that they would even skin their captives alive. They were greatly wicked people. Nineveh was a great city, but... Uh, even in the midst of all of its inhabitants, there was great evil there, great wickedness. Assyria was noted for its power, and its capital, Nineveh, was full of wealth, and, and it dominated lesser kingdoms all around. And, and why even to go there would be dangerous for a prophet of the God of Israel, and still Jonah was to become the first foreign missionary. But, but although that would have been a great honor... He was reluctant to accept that honor. I don't think I'd be too excited about that either, would you? And while dealing with Jonah individually, this experience in Jonah's life was just really a preview of how God would deal with uh, Israel and, and use uh, Israel uh, in the days ahead. And though rebellious in receiving God's judgment, Israel would, and this is God's grace here, this is God's mercy. Israel would be preserved, remember, and finally become missionaries to the Gentile world. In fact, because of the gospel going to the Gentiles, we today can enjoy God's grace. Amen? Well, that this little book is important, I think, is attested by none other than Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter... Uh, 20, I'm sorry, chapter 12 and verses 38 and following. You're probably familiar with this. It says in Matthew 12 and verse 38, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights 
in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Speaking of himself, Jesus said that, that he was greater than Jonas. But it's interesting, isn't it, that this is a very important little book, so much so that Jesus talks about it in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus himself regarded the story of Jonah as truth, and it is today because it's part of the Word of God. But if Jesus accepted the story of the great fish and, and even likened it to his own miraculous resurrection, then that settles it. I mean, this is truth. This is the Word of God. I believe it just like it says that, that, that he was in the belly of the great fish for, for three days and three nights. It happened just as we have it here and just as God caused it to be recorded and preserved that we might see God's revelation of himself. Just as the miracle, listen, as the miracle of Jesus' resurrection was necessary that the people of his day might believe, so the miraculous preservation of God's prophet that the Ninevites might believe. It's been said, though, that for centuries, men have been so busy with the tape lines trying to find the dimensions of the fish's belly that they seem to have had no time to plumb the depths of the teachings of this book. You know, I don't have to understand everything in this book. Aren't you glad of that? I mean, really. I, I don't understand it. Your pastor doesn't understand it all. You don't understand it all. But, but we can trust that this is the Word of God. And yes, it challenges our faith, perhaps, but in it we see God. We see God working. We see God taking care of His prophet. And we see in it His supernatural power and right here we stand or we fall. It's been said our attitude toward Jonah reveals our attitude toward God and his word. Listen, this is the word of God that we come before today reverently because it's, it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword that, that it, it even speaks to our very hearts today. I read about uh, the deep sea. And someone has said, when you go to the deep sea, every time you take a sample, you find a new species. That's what Ward Appleton's uh, marine biologist says. He goes on to say, in one recent year, scientists identified 1,451 new types of undersea life. We simply don't know the half of what's down there, he says. And in the book of Job, verses uh, chapters 38 through 40, God reviewed his creation for Job's benefit. And in three poetic chapters, God highlights the wonders of the weather, the vastness of the cosmos, and the variety of creatures in their habitats. There are things that we can observe, these things we can see with our own lives. And then God spoke of the mysterious Leviathan. You ever heard of the Leviathan? God speaks there for an entire chapter about it. Leviathan is a creature like no other with harpoon deflecting armor, Job says, graceful power, and fearsome teeth. 
Flames stream from its mouth. Smoke pours out of its nostrils. Nothing on earth is its equal. You believe that? I believe that because it's in the Word of God. Why do we have so much trouble acknowledging the truth? But not just to say it's the truth, listen church, but to live. Believing that it is the truth. Okay, so God talks a lot about a huge creature that we haven't seen. Is that the point of Job and the Leviathan? No. Job broadens our understanding of God's surprising character. The psalmist expanded on this when he wrote, There is the sea, vast and spacious, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Isn't that interesting? He formed Leviathan to frolic in the vastness of the sea. After the terrifying description in Job, we learn that God created a playpen for this most fearsome of all creatures. You know, we have the present to explore the ocean. But listen to me, church, don't miss this. We'll have all of eternity to explore the wonders of our magnificent, mysterious God. He's real today. His word's real today. And it speaks to our hearts today. Are you listening? But not just the miracle of the great fish back in Jonah, but the miracle in that great city that through the simple message of an obscure foreign missionary, an entire heathen nation could be converted in just a few days. The truth is, like the world that we live in today, the Ninevites only had, listen, but a few days before God would destroy them because of their wickedness. Listen to, God will protect you when you preach, thus saith the Lord, just as he protected old Jonah in a nation that perhaps had already or soon would overtake the northern kingdom of Israel. So take courage today, church, and obey God, believing his word and his instructions, and, and that they are for our living day by day in this world where we find ourselves today. You see, God is not only speaking to Jonah, he's speaking to each of us today. He's telling us what to do, even through the voice of his Holy Spirit in our situation. Where are you today? In your relationship with God, where are you today in your walk with God? Where are you in light of all that's in our society today that's against God and the Word of God? Where are we today? Even before Nineveh said Jonah was a busy and successful prophet, even a statesman as he, he talked about reclaiming uh, uh, the property uh, and prophesied of that to uh, Jeroboam II. And, and then God speaks to him now here again, and, and God's saying to us today, right where you are, listen. Are you listening, church? I'm a little hard of hearing. My wife tells me about every, multiple times, every day. But I wonder if we're deaf when it comes to listening to God. You know, sometimes if I were honest today, I guess I need to be. Probably I miss some of what she says because I'm not paying attention. 
Are you paying attention today? God's still saying to us right now, you, right where you are, listen, he says, I've got more for you to do. Sad thing is, though, we may be more like Jonah than we want to admit. Jonah, who persisted in chapter 1 and verse 10 in disobedience. Now, I'm not going to read all of this uh, first chapter, but, but you're familiar with the story, and, and he ended up in the uh, belly of the great fish. But in, in verse 10 of uh, chapter 1, it says, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, these, these sailors, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? It says, Because for the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It wasn't a secret. He said, look, this has all come about because of my disobedience. You know, the, the, the church universal is responsible for a lot that's going on in the world today because we haven't been faithful. We haven't been obedient to God. We might as well admit it, but, but more than that, we, we, we ought to become more obedient and not persist in disobedience. The implication is that that he wanted to get as far away from God as he could, even if it meant leaving everything he loved behind. I mean, he went in the opposite direction. You know the story. Whatever pain, whatever expense it cost him to uh, 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 pay the fare for that boat, to go down towards Tarshish. And, and it didn't matter the distance. It didn't matter that he was determined not to do what God wanted him to do. He was not going to do what God wanted him to do. You know, you may not even live, uh, leave rather, Gilmer County, but perhaps you're going to great lengths right now to resist God's call in your life. Whatever it is, I don't pretend to know. Because what God's telling you to do just isn't in your plans, or it doesn't make sense, or it's not your idea. Or it just seems so unreasonable. And you've gritted your teeth and you've dug in your heels and you simply cannot be moved. Well, friend, let me just tell you, you can be moved. And gritting your teeth will only give you a headache. Digging in your heels will just get your shoes dirty. If you're God's man, if you're God's woman, he can move you and he can change your plans. Maybe I'll talk more about that. But you see, he may either cause you to stay in the waves long enough to really get your attention. Are you listening? Or he may leave you in those waves right where you are if you continue to ignore the voice of his Holy Spirit, that still small voice speaking truth to your heart today. That's right. If you're one of his and you're not obedient to his direction for your life, the consequences can be rough. They were rough for old Jonah, weren't they? Kind of repugnant, isn't he? He was just vomited up on dry land. God didn't rescue Jonah until Jonah was willing to obey. Now, you may be saved today. You may be busy. I'm, you may even be busy at East L.J. Baptist Church. I was. As a young deacon, I was probably made deacon way too early. God was blessing my family, my business, 
And uh, people looked at me like an idiot when I stood before the church and said that God was calling me to the gospel ministry. I can remember registering for my first class. We had gone to college out of high school, and Suzanne wanted to get married at 19, so we quit. And, uh, I went in business, and God blessed. But I can remember going back as a first semester freshman at 32 and registering for that class. And these guys were just, you know, writing checks, and I'm thinking, where does this money come from? A buddy of mine and I were standing there, and I said, yeah, here, Daddy, here's about a $5,000 deduct to the checking account of the old man. People thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy. But, you know, God may remove you from where you are and put you where he wants you to be, doing what he wants you to do. And all you can do can't change God's will for your life. It's hard to kick against the pricks the New Testament talks about. Although you never surrender to his will for your life, that will never change his will for your life. I'm convinced the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Many potential laborers have heard the Lord of the harvest calling, but don't want to hear. And so they flee into their work or their recreation or even blatant sin rather than submitting themselves to God in willing obedience. Just like Jonah, they persist in disobedience. Don't do that today. Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But you know, because God is long-suffering to us, where the Bible says, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, even disobedient Jonah purposed, finally, to decree. Now, in chapter 2, we find this, and you remember the story. Um, he'd been in the waters and, and, and finally realized, you know, I, somehow, I can't explain, but somehow, he's in the belly of that great fish and God's talking to him and he's talking to God. And, you know, it's just like an epiphany. I mean, here I am. I can't save myself. He's, he's got seaweed around his neck. I mean, he's about to go down for the third time. You know, if you're drowning the third time, that's it. I mean, he's, a, he's about done. And God is, is speaking to him, and, and it says in chapter 2 and verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Now, that was one happy prophet, don't you bet? I mean, listen, he couldn't, I mean, he was in the great uh, fish, the great, my uh, belly of the great fish. He couldn't get out of there. God had to do that. And God did that. And when he did, Jonah purposed to decree for God. God got his attention, and he'll get our attention today when we're disobedient. And as God's chosen prophet already, Jonah came to his senses and he cried out to God that he might be restored to God's service. You know, that's the best place to be. 
You're talking about peace and, and calm and mercy. Doing what God wants you to do is the best place to be today. I'll assure you that. If you're God's own, as his child, you'll respond to his loving discipline. You better. God's discipline is always redemptive, though, in nature. Aren't you glad of that? He didn't put Jonah in the storm or have him thrown overboard or swallowed by a great fish to reject him, but rather what? To restore him to, to useful service. God wanted to use him. He wasn't through with him. He's not through with you. Maybe you're just getting started in this gospel business. And, and listen, God wants to use you. You don't have to know all the answers. God's got all the answers. God even moves supernaturally that he might use his prophet in a supernatural work. It's interesting to me. God doesn't need us, but God's chosen to use us. God's given us the Great Commission. God's given us the gospel. God's given us the responsibility and the call to be his missionaries, to share the good news. Jonah didn't want to do it, but he couldn't deny who God was, and we can't either. He couldn't deny that God was speaking directly to him. Neither could he deny that he belonged to God as one who was set apart to point others to God. And that's the, the calling of every believer, isn't it? Am I not right in that? This, this is all of our responsibility. It's the responsibility of all of us to be God's missionaries. Then why? Why is it? So often it seems... We go on in, in disobedience. Maybe we're obedient for a while and then we get away and come back. And you know, dad, God probably gets tired of that. Mom and daddy get tired of that, don't we? When our kids want to, you know, obey for a little while and then, you know, sugar wouldn't melt in their mouth and then the next thing you know, they're off doing something crazy. We need to offer God our thanks for all that he's done, and we need to keep our promises to God, surrendered to God. Perhaps like when we prayed for him to save us. You listening, Christian friend? Maybe when we prayed to God and asked him to spare our children, burning up with fever in the middle of the night, Maybe when we, like when we prayed to, that God would provide our needs. Maybe just starting out, young married couple, and you didn't know where the, how the next bill was going to be paid. I promised God I'd serve him uh, when I was 32 years old. But it started before that. I was saved when I was 16, and by the time I was 16, I'd done more than what probably most grown men had done, and that's just to brag on Jesus' grace. But I promised God I'd serve him if he'd just get me through Marine Corps boot camp. You ever been to Marine Corps boot camp? I don't recommend it. People were dying, literally. People were dying of spinal meningitis. We lived in Quonset huts. wasn't the best, uh, I guess, sanitation and... Uh, 
we slept in our utilities, our, our fatigues, they call it in other branches, our utilities. Green, everything was green, you know, in the military. And uh, we slept in our utilities, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I mean, I was soaking wet from head to toe. And my clothes were soaking wet. And I didn't know if I was going to make it through boot camp or not uh, to start with. And I knew I might not make it through uh, spinal meningitis. And I can remember just praying to God. God, it's in your hands. But if you'll just let me get through this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I wasn't young then. I was 19 then. I had to hurry up and get my military behind me. I said at 19 because Suzanne wanted to get married. But um, quick as I got that done, we got married, got started a family a couple of years. Chad came, and then our daughter Carly came, and, you know, the business of life, and you're working and paying the bills, and mom was at home with the uh, two little ones. And by the time I was 25, I was a deacon in a rather large church in Carnival, and I had 55 um, families that I was responsible for in our deacon family ministry, and I believe that was part of God's training for becoming a pastor. But uh, I can remember sitting in our kitchen in the floor with my wife, and I just said, you know, I can't wake up. When I'm 40, I thought that was old. I'm almost 69 now. I can't wake up when I'm 40 or 50 years old and realize I miss what God wants me to do. But it was seven years before I did it. It wasn't always fun, folks. It's a whole lot easier, less stress, less pain and agony and upset and heartache and on and on, ad infinitum, if you just obey God. I hadn't always obeyed him. Don't misunderstand. It took me seven years. I'm kind of hard-headed. If you turn back in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Hello. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Be better is it that you shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Well, I'm here. And you know, after all, there is no salvation apart from God. Only God can restore, and only God can keep us. And when we get to the place that we're willing to be used of God, then God will really use us. Old Bertha Smith, missionary to China, prayed God would make her usable. God does all the qualifying if, he'll just, if we'll just be usable in His hands. And, and as we pray like that, again, purposing in our heart to decree for God, the love of God, we'll find ourselves with great opportunity. Nineveh was a great city with many people, like our, our mission fields of today. We don't lack 
for prospects, even right here in LJ. What God needs is surrendered, willing workers that he'll, and then he'll send us where he wants us to go. Maybe just across the street, maybe uh, at the next family gathering. Well, once Jonah submitted to God's will, he then repeated God's message. In verses 4 and 10 of the third chapter, he proclaimed deliverance. Now, you know, that's a good message, isn't it? I mean, they were fixing to be wiped out, and here God's man proclaims God's message, a message of deliverance. Chapter 3 and verses 4 and 10. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What does that mean? It was just going to be rough on them? I mean, no, they were going to be destroyed. They were going to be gone. Verse 10. You you know what happened from from the highest to the lowest. Even there was sackcloth and ashes for the cattle, I think it says. In verse 10 it says, And God saw their works, or their repentance. It says, They turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil. He wasn't going to destroy them. That he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. You believe the word of God? I kind of emphasized in the beginning, what, what are we talking about today? This is God's word. You believe God's word? You believe the great fish? You believe God said he was going to destroy them, but then God didn't do what he said he was going to do. Why? Because they repented at the proclamation of deliverance. Perhaps there's never been a more simple sermon. In the heart of that great city, old Jonah finally now was obedient, and he cried, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The meaning of this message was repent and be delivered or refuse and be destroyed. It was simple, but it was strong, wasn't it? The emphasis of the chapter is is neither the reluctance of Jonah nor the rebuke of God even. Rather, it's the response of the Ninevites. What are you going to do? Dig in your heels or obey? Just what was implied came to pass when the people repented. And after Jonah's experience in the storm, he obeyed God and he preached God's message to a people that he'd been both fearful of and even despised in his heart. But this disobedient messenger finally comes around, this same one who was vomited out on the dry land after three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish, remember, God had the attention of his prophet And because of this miraculous event in his life, now Jonah, look, God orchestrated all this. You with me? God orchestrated all this. Now Jonah had the Ninevites' attention. And then God moved, and before he could cover all the city, revival broke out. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, you say I'm not a preacher. I'm not much of one, but we're all called to share the good news of the gospel. Amen? All of us are called to proclaim the the good news. And some folks, for whatever reason, I understand some folks will listen to you, whoever you are, before they'll listen to anybody else. 
Some people are not going to come in this building. I think y'all got a great preacher, but, but they're not going to come to hear your preacher, but they'll listen to you. Let's make no mistake. Be sure today. There are some people I know, 25 years of ministry, I know. There are some people that are just easier to preach to than others. But look at what God can do even with a reluctant proclaimer and a wicked people. Look at what he can do if you will just say, thus saith the Lord. You don't have to say it in that terminology. But if you just give him the credit, if you just share what happened in your life. I once was lost, but now I'm saved. I turned from my, my sin in the total opposite direction, all the way around uh, forsaking that sin, putting it behind me, repenting of that sin, my heart broken over my sin against holy God and accepted his free forgiveness to life eternal and salvation. The Ninevites heard one sermon from one preacher and responded by repenting in sackcloth and ashes at the possibility that God would withhold his judgment. Friend, there's no telling what God would do if you, if I, if we would just serve even serve God at his instruction and become his instrument to deliver his message. Jonah proclaimed deliverance. The people believed and, and God forgave. It still works that way today. That's how it works. But we've got to be willing. You've got to be willing to, to take God's message to, to, to the people that, that he might work a work in their lives like he's worked in your life. Well, you know that story pretty well by now. You're familiar with it before I got started and we talked some about it. But in chapter 4, I said I was going to cover the whole um, chapter. We see that then Jonah pouted, pouted. Mama used to say, pooched out that bottom lip. He pouted in displeasure. Now think about that. Jonah's God's man. Jonah used him back with Jeroboam II, and, and he didn't want to do what God uh, wanted him to do, but he was still God's man. He was disobedient, and, and he went down in that belly of that fish, and, and God delivered him from that, and he went to Nineveh, and he preached, and guess what happened? Great revival broke out. Glory, that's shouting ground, isn't it? What happened here? He pouted in displeasure. Look at chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. May I just for time share with you what happened here? He said, God, I told you. I knew it was going to happen. And you did it anyway. I hate these people. They've treated people terrible. They're against my people, Israel. That's a paraphrase. First of all, let's remember, it's better to obey God even when we don't want to than to continue in disobedience. You got that right? I hope so. 
But the fact is, Jonah didn't want God to spare wicked Nineveh. Old Jonah was honest with God, wasn't he? I think that's, what, that's the way it should be. We ought to be honest with God. God knows our heart anyway. Might as well be honest. And when we, feel, when we don't feel like serving God, ever been that way on Monday morning? Or we can't see the use in following God's instruction, that's precisely when we're to be obedient to God. Faith isn't following as long as we can see. It's following when we can't see. That's what faith's all about. When the road grows dim and the way gets rough, that's the time to obey God. Jonah had to learn this lesson of God's mercy, and we need to learn the same lesson. What is that lesson? Well, I believe at least part of that lesson is that God loves all his creation. God is love, and God loves, my preacher used to say, all, A-double-L, all of his creation. And on this side of Calvary, we need to see that Christ died for every one of his creatures. Though Jonah served the Lord, he didn't love the people. That's a bad way to be obedient. Perhaps it would be easier to love the people, though, if we stopped to recall that everyone to whom we're sent is one for whom Christ died. Amen? And if he loved them enough to die for them, we ought to love them enough to share the gospel with them. He saved me. If you're a believer today, he saved you. When Jesus looked on rebellious people, his word says that he wept. Jonah was a re repentant uh, prophet, and he saw now a repentant people, and he said, didn't I tell you, God? I didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because I knew that you were full of mercy and that they might just repent and be spared. I knew it. Let me ask you today. What is it you're pouting about? Get over it. For the glory of God and your own good. Get over it. And go on with God. That's what this is about. There was no mercy in Jonah's message, though he was the prophet of God, the God of mercy. What is it that you're doing strictly out of a sense of duty and without any joy? Giving? Just abiding people because it's the Christian thing to do? Are, 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 are your prejudices standing in the way of dealing with things eternal? That's dangerous business. Shaky ground. God's interested in extending his mercy to everyone, and he's interested in doing it through you. We ought to praise him always for every opportunity to tell the good news and for working everywhere at the same time. For one day, we were able to hear the gospel that we might escape destruction, eternal destruction in a real place called hell. Some things are easier to preach than others. But you know, just to wrap it up, like Jonah, I said it, we're, we're called to world missions, and when we disobey God, the consequences are severe. And still, God will preserve those who repent and obey His voice. 
He will restore us to useful service and, and even work mightily as we share his message of love and, and hope. God really is the God of the second chance. It's seen in the life of Jonah. It's seen in my life. It's seen in your life. And in order for us to glorify God, we must learn and we must teach others of his available mercy, mercy that's extended even now to whosoever will. Christian friend, if you were once actively serving the Lord, but for some reason now aren't following him, if you're not pointing others to him as you used to, then why not today, between you and God, get things straightened out? We're sitting on padded pews. A lot of difference in that, in the belly of the great fish with seaweed around your neck. You just might see God move in a great way in your heart and in your testimony. Oh, for obedience, surrender, men and women today that will go and speak for God. Don't worry about the results. God will take care of the results. I said that. It's clear. Jonah couldn't do it. That was an impossible situation. How'd you like to be called to that church field? That mission point. I read about a convert to Jesus Christ by the name of Nabil Qureshi. He wrote a book to help his readers understand the people in the religion that he left behind. His tone is respectful, and Qureshi always displays a heart of love toward people, especially his own people. Qureshi dedicated one of his books to his sister, who has not yet put her faith in Christ. The dedication of that book is brief, but it's powerful. Quote, I'm begging God for the day that we can worship him together. Isn't that beautiful? A brother love for his sister with a godly love. We get a sense of that kind of love as we read Paul's letter to the church in Rome. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief, he said. For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul said, I, I'm going to be a curse that, that, that the Jews might be saved. Romans 10.1 said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. I wonder, is that our attitude toward the people that God's called us to serve? and share the gospel with. Paul loved those Jewish people so much, he would have chosen, think about this, separation from God, he said, if only they would accept Christ. Because he understood that by rejecting Jesus, his people were rejecting the one true and living God. And this motivated old Paul to appeal to his readers to share the good news of Jesus with everyone they came in contact with. Today, you and I may prayerfully dedicate ourselves even to the love that aches for those who are close to us, our own family and friends, co-workers, fellow students. We must love those for whom Christ died as well as those for whom Christ lives. Let's pray.